Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Strange Familiars. Happy 2022. Hope everybody had a great holiday and you came out of it safe and healthy and ready for more Strange Familiars. How are you doing tonight, Allison? I'm doing well. The Riddle Me This show, it was fun. It was different. I think we were doing the AMA shows. I think most of the ones in the past we did for patrons. That might have been the first one we did as a main show, but yeah, that was a lot of fun. We'll do one of those every now and then. We're not going to do them too often. Department of Truth 15 should be, if all goes well, available next week. And if you go to the newsstand, you won't find my cover there. Is there such a thing as a newsstand anymore? That's an adorable concept. (laughs) (laughs) Newsstand, comic book store, whatever retail establishment you buy comics at. You won't find it there, probably, unless that retail establishment is Riverbend Comics. What I'm trying to say is the only place to get (laughs) my Mothman cover that I did for Department of Truth number 15, my variant cover, is from Riverbend Comics, riverbendcomics.com. They have the normal edition. We'll make signed editions available. John has an edition that comes with Monsters Under the Hospital Bed, my art booklet I published last year after my MS attack, and some of them come with trading cards. You can look at all the options at riverbendcomics.com. There's links in the show notes. Very soon, maybe by the time this episode is released, maybe not, maybe next week, we should have prints of my cover art available in our Etsy shop and new prints of the Hans Trap artwork I did If you heard our Hans Trapp, the Christmas Scarecrow episode, the artwork I did for that, we have prints of that, full color. Jesse Hege, the guy who colored my Mothman work, he covered the Where the Footprints End covers, the cover to The Witch Cloud, and William of the Fiery Flowers, the artwork I did for William Woodruff. He's a colorist I work with frequently. He colored that Hans Trapp image I did. We'll have prints of that as well in the Etsy shop coming up. And I just added a bunch of original art, all different price ranges on Etsy. And we'll have more coming. The link to our Etsy shop is in the show notes. The shop name is Lost Grave. And if you type in Strange Familiars, our stuff should come up as well. 
And I bet people think we're just going to be talking about my artwork in Etsy tonight. No, we're not. <laughs> tonight, we're going to be talking with Amy, who has some experiences to share with us. A weird childhood kind of near-death experience. She has an interesting take on that, kind of a almost like a changeling experience. She talks about this entity that was around in the neighborhood where she grew up that they called the Coconut Man because he had skin or hair or something that looked like the surface of a coconut. Where they were, they didn't think Bigfoot was. So they had this entity they called the Coconut Man. I love these little local names for these cryptids. Of course, she has a haunted house story, a UFO story, and more. Before we get to Amy's story, I do want to mention, if you have kids listening or those sensitive, she does mention having sex with an entity. So listener discretion advised. It's not too rough, but you know, if you have kids or something, you might want to listen to it first or have your finger on the skip button. Without further ado, let's hear Amy's stories. Tonight we're talking with Amy. Welcome to the show, Amy. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. We have a number of things to go over, and we also want to talk about your band. Do you want to start with your experiences, and then we can bring it around to the band, or you want to talk a little bit about the band first? Oh, sure. It's just, it's actually my old band, Horse Cult. And, um... Oh, they're not, you guys aren't going anymore? No, not at the moment. I mean, there's always, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, we have um, a song called The Changeling that seemed to tie into um, one of my earliest memories. It was a near-death experience. Um, I was reminded when Joshua Cutchins was talking about how the changelings were sort of the opposites of what is now sort of termed the star children where the changelings were exchanged by the fairies for real children, for these real healthy children. And then the star children feel as though in some way they've been exchanged and they don't necessarily feel that they're always a part of their families or that their parents are their parents. And one of my earliest memories was as I said, a near-death experience, and I had almost drowned. At It was around two or three. We were over at a neighbor's house, and I jumped into their pool. The heads must have been turned for whatever reason, and I was in there long enough that I have a very clear memory of thinking, oh, this is so peaceful. I don't even know why I'm fighting. And then the next thing I knew, like, something had grabbed my arm and I'm being like brought up out of the water so quickly. And when I looked at the people that were standing there looking at me, it's very, very clear in my memory that they all looked like, well, I remember that at least they looked like members of the cast of Star Wars, which I wouldn't have even seen at that point because I was too young, but I probably saw commercials. Mm -hmm. I remember very clearly Chewbacca and Princess Leia. What? Yeah, I know. And these were the people that were looking at me when I got pulled out. And it was almost this sort of, and then when you've talked about like the alien skinning, Mm -hmm. that it's a very strange memory. I know that there's like DMT 
there's this idea that DMT is released uh, at death right. and near death yeah. experiences. So there's probably potentially like just a psychedelic element of that memory. It also uh, reminds me of the stories. Sometimes we'll get them in these people would say like when they were kids, there was like a cartoon character that like beckoned them under the porch or something. And you wonder if it was like somehow, you know, the kid's mind skinning something else like that they didn't quite understand, you know, and they're, they're skinning it with, uh, with something they did understand. That was sort of my impression as well. That is my impression now looking back is that whatever I was looking at, I couldn't understand or I was seeing it as I could understand it. And I've definitely always been the black sheep of my family. I know I'm not the only person. I think every family has a black sheep. So Ah. (laughs) yeah, for sure. Throughout my life, I've always felt also too felt very clearly when I was young that I did not want to see ghosts. Like, I just felt that very clearly within myself. And so then as a grown-up, as I've become a lot more attuned, I wonder, is it just because I knew that that was such a possibility? A possibility that you would see them or could see them? I would see them, yes. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So did this NDE, do you feel like it, it... kind of sparked immediate changes after I it's interesting you were so young you know because I don't know if I at that age would would have clocked the differences the before and after differences you know what I mean but did you did you I have no I mean I do know I have memories from that age and I've heard from you know other people that you can't remember things at that age but I remember clearly things from being two years old and I remember laying in my crib and looking at the walls. So I know, but I don't think I would have had enough clarity to know if there was a before and after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it's, just, it's an interesting detail, though. Just whatever, whenever when you came out of the pool, just however, whatever reason you were seeing people like that. That's that's bizarre and interesting. Star Wars. Yes. Did you grow up to be a Star Wars fan then? Oh, yeah. Well, the, the first Star Wars it's mm-hmm. like the Star Wars that came out when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I, and I was born in 74, like the first three. And then I know you really wanted to hear my story about the neighborhood cryptid that we had. Absolutely. When I was growing up. So you won't be surprised that where he was seen, they were digging up. It had been fields um, and they were digging it up for a new subdivision. Interesting. Uh-huh. So we would go back there and play. And I think we were kind of not supposed to be going back there, but there were also trails we could walk through to get to other subdivisions that were already there. And one of the girls, I won't say her name. Yeah. One of the girls had seen what became termed as the coconut man. Because supposedly his skin looked like the skin of a coconut. Interesting. And how I remember the story is that she was just walking back there along the trail, probably going home. So like duskish time. And there he was sitting on a mound that would have been there from the dug up dirt with just his legs extended. And he was just looking at her. After that, like, of course, that sort of story just like spread like wildfire. It was a small town and we all went to the same school. Do you mind telling us where? 
Oh, it's actually, it's um, in part of, it's in the area of Elkhart, Indiana. So that's Northern Indiana. So it's very much, uh, it's very similar to where you're at in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Amish and German immigrant population. So we were all, of course, talking about that. And she was so scared that once the, you know, this is the story. She was so frightened that there became a point where she didn't even want to talk about it anymore. And I don't know if there was any other sightings of him. I don't remember that part, but that story really stuck out in my head. And then as I've gotten older and more interested in cryptids, it just sort of one day hit me. I was like, oh, especially once I realized that there were times where Sasquatch or, you know, whatever they would be called in Indiana, they were seen in mm-hmm. Indiana, in Ohio and in areas close to where I grew up. So, yeah, see, that's the thing when when we were younger and I was very interested in Bigfoot, but my impression was that Bigfoot was in California and Oregon and Washington State. So we had local names here for, for creatures. And, and I think probably a lot of people did throughout the South and, and uh, the East. Well, probably anywhere in the country other than, than the, uh, the Northwest. But it, I'll, I've said that if you can learn the names, the local names for these things, you can start digging out stories. There was one they, they called a werewolf here, the Hook Road Werewolf, which was not by description a werewolf. It's just a big hair-covered dude, but they didn't know what to call it. Uh-huh. Because, uh, they, you know, Bigfoot didn't live here. So... Yeah, I, that's very, very interesting. Was the Coconut Man sightings happening around the same time as the large black cat sightings? Um, they would have been close. Yeah, so we, there was supposedly seen that it was termed a panther. Mm-hmm. And that was a very big deal. And of course, this is before cell phones. But everyone called everyone to make sure that their kids and animals were inside and that their livestock were safe. Because supposedly this huge black cat had been seen roaming. And this is a point where at least where I was at in Indiana, it's very flat. And there were not very many trees left. There were definitely some patches of forest. But there was not the ecosystem to be supporting large cats anymore, certainly. And your podcast and reading other places about these large black dogs and occasionally large black cats, it seemed uh, pretty relevant. Yeah, and they tend to show up uh, with other things. We, in my neighborhood growing up, there was, everyone called it the Black Panther. I never saw it, but the other kids would talk about it, and we would play these marathon hide-and-seek games at night in the summer where we would, you know, play hide-and-seek across three or four different farms, you know, with, uh, you know, ten kids or something. And I remember... At least once, if not more than once, you know, hiding someplace and just hearing all the kids just like screaming and running and screaming, oh. you know, black cat, black or black panther, whatever they were, they were screaming. They, you know, they were just just running. And so they got to see it, but I never got to see it. But we did have one that was supposed to be around our neighborhood as well. I mean, well, that's frightening, whether it's true or whether it's natural or supernatural. Yeah, yeah. And all this is the same place where you were growing up in a haunted house. Yes. So these, so, these boxes are getting checked left and right. This is Yes, yes. And this is all in a very close vicinity, like within a city block or two 
from the coconut man mm-hmm. was my house. And my family, most of my family lived very close, like within city blocks of each other, but on a country road. Mm -hmm. And in the house that I grew up in, before we were there, my aunt and uncle lived there. And the next door neighbor, who was also the same next door neighbor when we lived there, was the niece of the people that had owned it before my aunt and uncle. So this is, you know, everybody knows everybody. Right. And when they lived there, and my mom told me this when I got older, because she didn't want, she didn't want me and my little sister to be scared. But when my aunt and uncle had lived there, there was a bunch of activity that just could not be explained. And it has, you know, I want to just be clear that my family is, they're not the kind of people who would be making this stuff up. They're not dramatic. I mean, they are Protestant religious and they definitely believe in like God, but they certainly wouldn't be just randomly talking about ghosts. So their oldest daughter slept in the bedroom that had the window that would have been facing the neighbor's house where the niece would have been. And so she was quite young, but she would always be very scared to be alone in her room. And she would talk about the old lady, the old lady. And my aunt would, um, my aunt was very allergic of perfume. So there was no scent in the house, no scent. But there would be scent occasionally that would waft through the house. And so they knew that it wasn't coming in on them. And I feel like I have the vague recollection of cigarette smoke, and they were certainly not smokers, but I don't know if I'm conflating that with other stories. Mm-hmm. So the next door neighbor, that family, who was also very just solid, grounded family, that she was a grown up by this point, but she was the niece of the woman who had used to live in that house. And at one point she had looked up into that window where my cousin, you know, when she was young had been staying and she saw her aunt looking down at her from that window, but her aunt was not alive anymore. I don't know if she had heard her aunt call to her or if she just happened to look up there. So there were multiple stories backing up this haunting. And I guess at some point they they brought someone in. I don't know if they called a priest since they were Protestant, but apparently there were prayers. And after that, it was considered to be cleared. But the basement definitely did not feel okay. It didn't feel okay when I, you know, would play down there when my cousins lived there. It didn't feel okay when we lived there. And I did, you know, part of the story too was the the old woman who had died is that she had, you know, gone crazy. I don't know if she just developed dementia or what, but that does seem to be something that would leave a pretty heavy impression. Yeah. Yeah. On a house or make someone lost. They were already lost in the living realm that the, they would then feel lost um, once they died. So did you or your family have any experiences in the house when you lived there? 
I did. I had an experience when I was like 15 or 16 years old. And it was a dream, but something different about this dream is that I never dream in third person. I only dream in first person. I never see myself in a dream unless I'm looking in a mirror, Mm -hmm. which does happen occasionally. But this dream, I was in third person and I could see myself in my bed and over top of me was this huge demon. It looked like a gargoyle demon. It was having sex with me and it was so frightening and I could not move. So sleep paralysis. And I finally woke myself up, but I could still feel it on my chest. I could feel it inside of my body. It's like even telling the story, I guess I don't tell it very often. So I'm not really aware of how disturbing it actually feels to verbalize it. But I was so scared. And it was definitely not allowed that I just got up and left the house in the middle of the night. But I literally, I got up out of my room. I went and I got in my car and I drove to my boyfriend's house because I was like, I am not spending the rest of the night in my room yeah i think the logical move i guess i i I would leave as well i think i definitely did not roll back over and fall asleep like some stories that did not happen yeah wow i mean how do you go back to sleep in that room then i mean i don't know i don't remember how i did it i guess i just that was my bedroom yeah 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 i mean you, you have to sleep yeah wow yeah. yeah, that's it's disturbing and frightening. Wow. So hopefully just the one time. Uh yeah, that that I have any recollection of. Yeah. Mhm. Just that one time. Um but our house was the oldest house in the neighborhood. It was the, an old farmhouse. I mean, oh my gosh. At that point, it was over 100 years old, and so by now it's quite old. And it was just all of the the land around it had once been a part of that farm that had just been parceled out mm-hmm. into these, you know, other lots and subdivisions. So it was a very old farmhouse. Wow, that's super intense. And then I have another haunting story when I was an older, it was probably like I was probably I think I would have been like 20 or 21 by this point and I had gone with a friend and we went down to southern Indiana to see a show and we had stayed the night at one of her friend's house and I was acquainted with this girl and she had a sleep in her sister's room and we slept on the floor in front of this closet and um I had gone down with my best friend and I really loved my best friend. I mean, I just, she's so golden. I just felt so protective of her just in everyday waking life. And so we're laying there falling asleep and all of a sudden, and this is not something that was happening to me a whole lot at that point in my life, or even at this point in my life, but I just became very aware that there was something 
like this energy coming out of that closet and it was messing with us. And I was just like, you're going to back off. I don't remember my exact words, but I was very, very clear and I was very, very aggressive with whatever it was that was coming at us. And then I did fall back asleep actually. Mm. Um, And then we got up in the morning and we were just all hanging out, probably drinking coffee. And I said to the girl who's, place it was I was like so what's up with that closet almost half joking because it seemed like maybe I was just it was part of my falling asleep experience and she was like oh yeah um and so I could tell she was hemming and hawing and I was like yeah I really got the feeling there was something going on with that closet last night she said, well, yeah, that's my sister's room. And, and she says sometimes she sees an old man rummaging through that closet. Oh, that's creepy. I know. I was like, why would you have us sleep in there in front of the closet? But and she did. And that was an interesting experience. So you were just catching like feelings from it or did yeah, you actually hear or see anything? No, I don't even remember if I don't even think I opened my eyes. I just think I was just very aware that something was was just kind of messing with us was just kind of coming out of that closet. And at least in my memory, a huge part of of my like making that very strong boundary was to protect my friend who was clearly just sleeping through it. Mm hmm. Yeah, she she may have slept through a, a, a more intense experience as well. I mean, that's yeah. the way these things go. Yeah, I mean, and she's a very she's a very spiritual person and highly intuitive person. So you know, I, I'm sure she's had her own experiences. But just for, out of curiosity, what band had you gone to see? <laughs> I'm gonna be embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, don't judge. We were going to see Ani DeFranco, but <laughs> it was the early 90s and I was young. No judgment. There's no judgment there. No, it was a part of my time. And I did grow up to be a folk singer. So, I mean, there, there was clearly some influence. So, uh, we're kind of going chronologically here. So, yeah, I, I sort of did that when I made my notes because mm-hmm. it seemed like it would be the easiest. I saw a UFO in Telluride, Colorado when I lived there. I don't know if you've ever been there or seen pictures, but it's just so beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful natural places that I've ever been. And yeah, I've, I've never been, but I, I feel like the name gets thrown around in regards to UFO sightings. Oh, yeah. Well, and when it had come up, I had people in town that were just like, oh, yeah. I mean, it was just not even a big deal that people would see them like groups of people on Main Street would all see them at the same time. But I happened to be up. We would go. It was just surrounded by National Forest. And there was even a part of that time that I was living there that I was living in a a National Forest. And then going into town to work. So we were high up. We were even higher up than down in the Box Canyon Valley that the town was in. And we were just hanging out and laying there and looking at the stars because, you know, there's just no light pollution. So it's just gorgeous. 
And then all of a sudden there are these perfectly spaced three lights, you know, so making like a triangle that just sort of, sort of comes into our vision. And then it's just sort of hovering there. And then it does this very quick Z, you know, like horizontal, diagonal, horizontal, and then just, just shoots off out of sight. And I'm, I don't even remember which boy I was with when we were looking at that, but we both just looked at each other like, you saw that, right? That's not something that an aircraft that we know of does. So I don't know if it, if it was an alien, but certainly was unidentified to me. Did you get the impression that the three lights were on, say, like a triangular craft, like they were one thing or three separate things? If it was not one thing, it was certainly in sync because mm-hmm. they all moved together. But it wasn't very close. It didn't feel very close to us. It still still felt pretty far up in the sky. Mm-hmm. Just like in 2021... In 2022, the best place you can go for help with your puppy is 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy. Their relationship-based approach to training helps you and your puppy become perfect for each other. You can find them at sithappens.us. Look for the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page. They have online sources, like video lessons. They have a secret Facebook group, which is much cooler than a not-secret Facebook group. Oh, yeah. All my Facebook groups are secret. (laughs) Are they? Every single one of them. Yeah, I'm the only one in all the groups. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, they have one-on-one options available as well. So if your puppy's mouthing and biting, or you need help with potty training, it's exhibiting fear and nervousness, it's barking, it's chewing on furniture, shoes, or other things it shouldn't be chewing on. If you need help with crate training, hyperactivity issues, leash training, and more, 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy can teach you what to do, and more importantly, they can teach you what not to do. Again, you can find them at sithappens.us. Look for the 90 days to the perfect puppy link at the top of the page. I feel like we have to note occasionally what a great name that is, sithappens.us. Yeah, we used to pick out all those stores that would have those like punny kind of names. Like my favorite was the Merchant of Tennis. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of pun names (laughs) around here. 90 days to the perfect puppy, sithappens.us. I had a very beautiful experience when I was on Inishmore, which is the largest Aran Island off the coast of Ireland. Um, Just a beautiful trip to Ireland that I had. And we took a ferry out there from the mainland. And it was just like frosty fog the whole entire way there. Like you couldn't even see in front of you. It really sort of, I got the, the full effect of what it would have been like in earlier times. And then we, um, we get there, it's still pretty frosty, definitely, you know, the, the sky is cloudy and dark. And then all of a sudden, all of these fairies are pulling up and it's just like unloading, uh, unloading tourists like ants. Um, this was in September. 
So we just sort of, you know, chilled out for a second. We went and rented some bikes so that we could, because it's a small island and we biked in Portland. So it was really easy for us to get around. So we went and rented some bikes and then we dropped our stuff off at the hostel and we were like, hey, let's go check out um, Dun Angus. So Dun Angus is a bronze age iron age fort on the edge of a cliff they think that it wasn't potentially always on the edge of a cliff it might have been a full circle at one point but at this point now it's just up butted up against like this sheer drop sheer drop which would have been a higher drop at that point because um, when it was built because the water line was lower And it's so old that, you know, people had been living in it for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And so by the time that we got there and we were looking around, there was hardly anyone there. So it's all of these stacked up stones, four rings of stacked up stones. There weren't very many tourists. I think there were maybe like a couple when we got there. And Uh, My partner had gone to check out the outside ring and I was um, inside all by myself. I was just looking around and all of a sudden, so, oh, also, so you have this fort that's butted up against this sheer cliff and then part of the sheer cliff, that was this thing that might've potentially been in the center of the circle, but is now on the sheer cliff is this raised block of slate or, or whatever the whatever the rock in that area is and it looks they're not quite sure what it was for but it looked like it was for some sort of like celebration or you know leader speech or to me of course it would seem like maybe sacrifices were made there of course that's where my head would go because that's very dramatic mm-hmm. And I was just sort of sitting there and all of a sudden I was overcome with this feeling that I really needed to take off my clothes and lay down on this slab. And I was just like, Amy, you're insane. Why would you do that? That's like anyone could come in, like no one's in this this place right now, but this is a tourist. This is a tourist attraction. Why would you do that? But I was like, no, you have to do it. There was just something in my head that was like urging me. It was so urgent. And so I was like, okay. And so I just sort of did it as like the pieces would absolutely become necessary so that if someone did come in, I would be the least disrobed. And so then I was like, I was finally didn't have any clothes on. And so it is, it's cloudy. It's windy. It's right off the sea. It's, you know, I'm on stone. So it is cold in September and I lay down on it and it is freezing cold. And as soon as I lay down, the clouds open up and this ray of sunlight shoots down on my body. And it was so insane. I just burst into tears. Wow. I don't know if that's like supernatural, but it certainly felt like weather magic especially because I felt so driven to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, who knows supernatural or not, but it's one of those kind of stories that, that uh, I like to collect. 
And most importantly, it got another mention of Ireland on Strange Familiars because we're basically an Irish podcast now. So. I know, and I <laughs> love even just hearing those Irish accents. Oh, and I love Brother Richard. He's my second favorite Irish priest next to John O'Donohue. But so I, I was there and I just, as soon as it happened, you know, and I started crying and I was like, okay, I want to get up. But I was like, no, just stay a second longer just stay a second longer. And then I was like, okay, you can get up now. And so then I sat up and I got dressed in the order that it would make the most sense if someone came in <laughs> and then I'm lacing up my boots. Two people walk into the fort. It was like perfect timing. And then the sky was totally opening up. It was beautiful. So then you had these dark clouds and then this blue sky and the sun. And then my partner came in and I didn't even tell him about this story for years because it just felt like such an important secret that it just, I wanted to keep it for myself. And so not long after he came back in, a local woman came in and she kind of gave us a tour of the place and gave us even more information about Don Angus. I thought you were going to say she came in and started taking her clothes off. (laughs) (laughs) It's just this thing that happens in Don Angus. (laughs) Maybe it is. I don't know. Um, And then while we were there, the hostel we were in and another hostel that we were in while we were in Ireland were definitely haunted, like without a doubt. But we went to visit this other fort called the Black Fort while we were there. And we walked there and it was pretty straightforward. And we got there. There wasn't as much left of it. It wasn't nearly as breathtaking, but it was super fun. And we found it. And then we were like, okay, now it's time to go back. And there were a lot of those. They're not super low walls, but they're not very high of those when you think of the the stone walls in Ireland where they, you know, they take the slate and then they fit it together. Mm-hmm. And so we go to leave and go back to our hostel and we can't find our path. We can't find how we got there. And so we literally had to climb over these walls to like go as the crow flies back to our hostel because, and that was our joke that the Fae had like moved the trail and had like, had like confused us how we got there. Cause my partner, I'm easily, uh, I'm directionally dyslexic, very dyslexic, but he's not. So there's no reason we shouldn't have been able to find our way back. But um, that was our experience with the Fae. Yeah. I believe they call that wandering sod. Wandering sod. Oh, yeah. I haven't heard that, but yeah. Yeah, that uh, that's a perfect a perfect term. Yeah. Even though it made the trek back uh, a little exhausting, I was still pretty excited to have that experience because it really uh, reiterated the folklore that yeah. I had already had. A more recent experience that I've had with some friends is. When things were still pretty locked down in quarantine, I had, uh, well, we are still good friends. We still have a thread where we talk a lot, quite a bit, where we just, we were part of a major communication with each other. Like we were always talking during a time that everything was really alienating. There was one night that we all 
because, you know, sometimes we'd wake up and we'd be like, oh my gosh, I had this dream last night. And then we'd kind of like go in this round of like, oh, well, this is what I think your dream was about. Mm-hmm. And there was one particular night that we all entered each other's dreams. Ooh. It was so bizarre, but there was no denying it. There was no denying it. It was very clear. So this is during lockdown still. This was during lockdown. Yes. Yeah, no, that's an interesting thing. You know, the, yeah. the, the time where we're all separated and you have this one connection via this, oh. this group of these people. And then you're sharing a dream. That's very, very interesting. Yes. And granted it was just two people and we are talking a lot, but um, yes, me and the other woman, the, the man who we're talking with, he like himself was in our dream, but then our dreams like were the way that he came into our dreams were reflected back in how he had his dream. Even though we weren't as ourselves in his dream, we were appearing as other people mm-hmm. in his dream. It was very clearly like a mirror of our experience with him. Yeah. So that was a very that was a very special synchronicity during a time where I mean for me, there are definitely times in life where you're like, oh man, this just this just blows. This is just so hard. And I don't even know why this is happening. And like the only thing you have is synchronicity. And you're like, okay, at least I know I'm on the right path because I'm getting these little like breadcrumbs from yeah. the universe. Yeah. That's what I, you know, usually take synchronicities as uh, indicators of something, usually that you're on the right path or that, or that something's coming one or the other. I mean, I have stories from my family, but I have one story from myself that I think is pretty special. Yeah, bring it. So I know that you'll get this because you like to say that deer is the new owl. <laughs> I had um, a pretty extreme health crisis a few years back. And it was one of those times that I was just like, I can't even, why is this happening to me? I know you can relate. Why is this happening to me? And why right now? And what are my lessons? And during that time, I was taking so much, uh, so much solace in the symbol of deer and realizing that I'd never really meant to collect deer. But all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, I have so many deer things all around me that I had never even intention. I was not intentionally ever collecting deer stuff. And my very, very first memory ever is laying in my crib and looking at the yellow paint on the wall and the painting, an uh, oil painting of a stag up hmm. above me. So this soulless in deer. And I had gone to a function of my oldest kids as I was just finally actually feeling good enough to leave the house. Um, and had had this really wonderful conversation with this other woman who had grown up generational pagan in Latvia, like her mom and grandma put out like milk for like these snakes and toads and stuff. Cause I had even said, Oh, were you know, did you, was this like reclaimed? Did you become pagan? And she was like, Oh oh, oh, no. She was like, we were always pagan. So to me, that just blew my mind. There were still places in Europe that had never stopped. Mm -hmm. So I was already high on this, this, you know, interaction. And I'm walking through this almost deserted parking lot. Now this is in Portland, Oregon. So this is not a small town. 
And I'm walking through this almost deserted parking lot. I'm going to the train, the electric train. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, a few yards from me, I see someone parallel to me. And I just start and look to my right. And it was a deer. In Portland. In the middle of the... In Portland. It was a deer in the parking lot of the Expo Center. And I just looked at it and it looked at me like, what is going on? And I would have thought that I made it up, except for thankfully, my kids happened to be driving away with their dad in his truck and they saw me see it. And they were like, oh my gosh, our mom is probably freaking out. (laughs) (laughs) But that was such a magical moment. Yeah, like it appeared, it manifested in the middle of the city. Yeah, yeah. I'll push back. I don't know that deer are the new owl. I think deer are an alternate owl or I don't know. Owls are the still owls and deer are deer. But whatever the case, deer are certainly very symbolic and special. I think so. I agree. Couple questions. Sleep paralysis was the time with the, we'll call it the incubus thing. Was that the only time you had sleep paralysis? No, no, I've had sleep paralysis and to get out of it, it almost feels like pushing through a membrane. I'm almost like I, I try to move myself like energetically, like through what this, yeah, it feels like a membrane to wake myself up and yeah i still have sleep paralysis still today i still do yeah i'm 47 yeah how i've had actually having well i hadn't really had it for a while but recently i've had it three times and the most recent time was actually um during a bodywork session so i like nodded off during a massage it was cranial sacral I had nodded off and I had gone into sleep paralysis and the woman working on me could actually tell. Really? That's interesting. That I I had gone into sleep paralysis. Yeah. So that was pretty intense to have someone else be a witness to it and then be able to get their feedback and what was their take on it. Mm -hmm. Do you want to hear what her take was? Absolutely. Yeah. Because that is a situation that is uh, very rare, I would think. It is rare. Because the only other time I've had something really kind of crazy like that happening to me during cranial sacral was 10 years before when I was dealing with a similar situation with a similar person where it felt like something was grabbing my feet and trying to yank me off the table. And at that point, that therapist also acknowledged and she said that did not feel like that was you. That was something else that was happening when we were doing that session. So fast forward 10 years later, very recently, I asked, I was like, what did you feel? And she said, she was down at my hip and she said, I felt like, (laughs) she said, this is going to sound weird. I was like, no, 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 (laughs) believe me, I won't. She said, I thought, I heard in my head, I have to get him out of here. And I was like, whoa, that felt very intense, but I guess, you know, something that I have to process through, like whatever, whatever that means. Yeah. And she could tell 
physically that you were you would go into sleep paralysis? Yes, she she said, you know, the the changes on my face, you know, my my face was changing, my breathing was changing and mm-hmm. I actually thought I was like screaming inside and this is how my sleep paralysis has been where I'm like screaming for someone to wake me up. Right. And screaming for her to wake me up and it kept coming in waves and she said she could see that and I actually thought that I had sat up like at least two if not three times and I thought that I had been sitting up and yelling for her and I kept trying to like hit her with my arm to get her to wake me up wow Um, but apparently I had not called out which i am thankful for now because we were not the only people in that, in that right, right you know in the office and that i had not set up at all that i was still you know my body my body was you know breathing and my face was moving but that my body was still besides that so did you find that you got sleep paralysis more when you were younger has it trailed off any or is it about the same now as it was then um, it had trailed off, but lately I had had the, the two as I was falling asleep where before it was more as I was coming out of sleep mm-hmm. than my previous experience. But my current experience is as I'm falling asleep. So twice lately, it's been in my bed. And this has probably been in the last two months. It was in my bed. One time my son heard me and came in and did wake me up. And the other time no one heard me. And then the third time was with my therapist, wow. my bodywork therapist. Yeah. And it was very validating for someone to have been there. Yeah. Uh, that it would, there's maybe something else to kind of like sift through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's fun. Now, do you or did you ever see like entities or anything in sleep paralysis or do you just get that like paralyzed, horrible feeling? Um, I do think that before I had... It, it was sort of coming out of dreams that I, I couldn't move from. I don't remember any particulars besides that incubus situation. Mm-hmm. But this new one, it's more just very dark and very closed in. And I'm very, I'm very, very frightened, but I don't, I don't remember seeing any entities. I don't think I've ever seen any shadow people. So nothing like that. So we have a chicken and egg question as far as you're interested in, you know, ghost stories and and folklore and things growing up. At what point do you get interested in folk music? Oh, um, I probably really, I mean, I did like folk music when I was, you know, in my later teens and then really got into folk music probably around the time that I, oh yeah, probably a 2000, early, like about 2000. And that was more like apocalyptic folk and stuff like that, like current 93 mm-hmm. and that whole family of bands. And then really got into Shirley Collins a lot. She's a favorite of mine. Um, And then it just kind of went from there and then also sort of spilled into like all of the folk revival of the seventies. I really like that's some of my, my favorite folk. Yeah. Yeah. So it's folklore led to folk music for you. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah. I I mean, my answer would be the same, honestly. It's like, I've always been into this stuff. 
and then you know I had to come up through like the the whole punk rock metal thing. Uh huh. But as soon as I heard like like you know in my twenties, as soon as I heard you know certain folk music, it had to be the right folk music. Of course, it, I, it just I completely went, yeah, that's it. That's that's right. where I need to be. And it's got to be the dark stuff. Like when I'm especially, I mean, I like to listen to the dark stuff the most, but especially if I'm going to make it, I want it to be the dark stories. Like somebody's a sister's got to kill a sister, you know, it's got to be, <laughs> you know, something bad's got to happen. Mama's got to kill her baby, you know, something, but some, somebody's got to die or, or a ghost has got a ghost. That's the best. So were you making music before you made folk music or did you did folk music was that the impetus to start making music yeah I actually didn't really so I started playing violin when I was about I think 37 I started learning violin I was like I'm gonna do this I've always wanted to and then started just playing with the other woman who was in horse cult. And um, I was like, oh, well, let's sing. And I sang, I just, I was like, oh, here. And she just started singing harmony with me. And I just burst into tears. That's like a silly thing about me is I sometimes have to sing a song many times before I can sing it without crying Mm -hmm. if it really deeply affects me. But I was like, oh yeah, this is, and, and then you know, my partner at the time, he played with us and the three of us were horse cult. And then it just sort of like, it just sort of went from there. She played flute and he played guitar and um, we just sort of, and, and then there's a bunch of other stuff on that album. And there's a bunch of mountain dulcimer and drums. Music is so powerful that sometimes I'm in a period right now where I don't know if I'll ever play live again because it's so powerful and so moving. And the last time I played live, I'm, I'm still not prepared to talk about it, but um, it didn't, you know, it, it, it was a whole situation with that. But even before that, there's a time and you, you can't really hear it because I think they cut it out of the live album where uh, my friend Karen came to sing with me after some time. And it was just so important to me and so touching to me that she had made that time to come sing with me after so long you know we had toured together separately sometimes our bands would play together but but we really didn't we hadn't sung together too much in anything we did and, and she just kind of came and, and did this with me and I, I was introducing her on stage and I just started crying it was just it just yeah it meant so much to me but uh, it's that kind of deep emotion that, that I do associate with music that kind of scares me about about ever playing live again I don't know if I can muster it you know yeah you and I talked a little bit about that and I can really relate because I've had some I've luckily never cried live um (laughs) but I definitely have had moments where I didn't know if I was going to be able to do it and um I, I again have a new project that I'm working on with a woman who plays in nickel harpa and we're bringing Oh, I know. Oh, I know. I'm jealous already. Oh, I'm so jealous yeah. of that. Well, she loves to collaborate. So um, I'm sure she would be happy for you to have her contact. And then we're bringing in some other people to collaborate with us, like an accordion player. And, you know, I already have another woman doing vocals and maybe bring in flute. We'll just see how it all works out. But 
you know, just all of the time and energy because I was pretty much also the promoter for the band. And it just, it just takes so much energy and just totally became my baby that I have to be prepared to mm-hmm. really put in that sort of, yeah, that heart into something because I feel like it has to have that heart. That's what people feel. We also tuned, Horse Cult tuned to 432 hertz. And um, I do feel like that made a difference. I mean, we did have it. <laughs> we definitely, women really liked our music, um, mm-hmm. but we even had like two different men who cried at our show. And to me that like, that is such a compliment, you know, when people are so, I, I had a friend once that said, a coworker, she said, when I listened to you guys, she said, I felt like I was coming home. And I was like, oh my God, that's such a compliment. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. Is there a name for this new project or are you keeping it under wraps for now? That is Hell's Secret for this power. Awesome. Oh, I'm excited about it. That sounds amazing. And we're going to play one of your songs from Horse Cult here that uh, has to do with that NDE we talked about at the beginning. Yeah, Joshua Cutchins talking about the changelings and that being the opposite of the star children. Awesome. Well, Amy, if anybody wants to hear your music, they can find it where? Horse Cult Bandcamp. So it's, it's horsecult.bandcamp.com? I think so. Yeah, if you Google that, it'll come up. We're the only horse cult. Awesome. And uh, I guess they can contact you that way as well if they want to. Yeah, yeah, sure. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and I'm looking forward to your new music. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. I really so much appreciate all of the work that you do. I really do. Well, thank you so much. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. So Amy mentioned the song by her band that was relevant to her story. So we're going to play it now. It is called The Changeling by Horse Cult.
tarot cards <laughs> for fun and fortune telling. We have this really cool tarot book here I came upon. It was originally published in 1970. It looks like it was published in 1970. You think so? I thought it looked like it was a little bit older than that. But this is a later printing. This is a 1972 printing, but it was originally published in 1970. It gives you a description of the cards, introduction to the tarot, describes the cards, and then it gives the layouts for readings, a bunch of different card layouts, spreads, I guess they call them. Talks about divinatory meaning and reverse meanings and so forth. It's a neat little book. So this will be our curiosity of the week. It can be yours. It's a hardcover book. I like the format here. If you go to the show notes at strangefamiliars.com, you'll see an image of this. You can click on that. It'll take you to our Etsy shop where you can purchase this and previous curiosities of the week. You started adding some photographs to our Etsy shop. Yeah, just a few, but the plan is to move the bulk of the photos that I have elsewhere to our Lost Grave store. So we will be expanding the photo section as time goes on here. If you're interested in old photography, check that out. We were doing the photo of the week. Of course, some of those are still left in there, but you're going to be adding yeah. more, more and more photos mm-hmm. as time goes on. So everybody can check that out. As I mentioned at the beginning, I added some original artwork. We're going to have some new prints coming in as well. We still have all sizes of Strange Familiars t-shirts, small through 3XL. Get them while they're hot. And much more in our Etsy shop. Again, as I mentioned previously, the shop name is Lost Grave. One word. But if you type in Strange Familiars, you should see our stuff come up. And while you're on Etsy, make sure to check out Chad's shop. He's been expanding and getting new materials in and some new-to-him used stuff. Mm -hmm. He carries a mixture of new and old items. His shop name is Ruck Rabbit Outdoors, and our friends at Karmic Garden are on Etsy as well. Check them out for their strange familiars and flannel man scented candles and soaps and much more. Well, speaking of t-shirts, the long sleeve strange familiar shirt should be coming out soon. Hopefully this month. I'll have pre-orders up. We won't have them in hand this month, but I I should have pre-orders up this month. I'm not sure how many of these I'm going to do, so you're probably going to want to pre-order them. I'm really excited about the design. I was waiting until I had an idea I really liked for it. Found an idea I liked, and we're going to go with that. So prints on the sleeves and front and back of the shirt. All new artwork by yours truly. So I'm pretty booked for interviews. I think through February we were doing it the old way, but after that... Things should open up, and we're going to do it a different way. So we are looking for stories. If you've had an encounter with the paranormal, Bigfoot, seen a UFO, ghost encounter, poltergeist, you know the kind of stuff we like. <laughs> you know the kind of stuff we cover. This isn't something where you talk about your vintage car re- you know, like work. This is Unless that car is a Christine situation. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. We are soliciting stories once again. You can email us, strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com. I just want to mention, we do read every email, but we do not have time to respond to every email. We're going to try this new way of booking, and hopefully it'll allow me to be a little bit lighter on my feet as far as scheduling and so forth. So we are looking for stories. We're going to do some theme shows coming up, so we're going to solicit specific stories closer to the time when I'm ready to do those. Coming up, and I'm not sure if it's going to be next week's show or not, 
Chad and I went back to Kadora State Park on the night of the solstice. Chad had had that dream of, that weird dream of like the grays and flannel and so forth. And it took place at a very specific spot on the trail. So one of the first things we did when we went back is to go look around that spot. And we found something really interesting. Welcome to Wu Town. Population Woo. We're going to get into that in an upcoming episode and break it down. It's pretty interesting stuff. We had a weird night there. That will be coming soon. And then, of course, we have much more coming up. Interviews with witnesses and some historical shows, some more hermits and more. Stay tuned and come back soon for more Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music books, art, podcast, and more. Intro and background music is by Stonebreath. You can find more or purchase music by Stonebreath at stonebreath.bandcamp.com. The Witch Cloud is also there. Strange Familiars episode 300. It is in our Etsy shop as well, by the way. Strange Familiars is on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can join the Strange Familiars gathering group. We're on Instagram at strangefamiliars, one word, and you can always find us on the web at strangefamiliars.com. you
wonder.